Okay, no, really. Will this be the week the Hawks finally get back to 500? You had to remind me. Yeah, we, we know that. We've been here before. Welcome to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Sarah Spencer, Hawks beat reporter for the AJC. Coming up in this episode, we're going to talk Sunday's win against the Pacers. Didn't really feel the way a win should feel, given how close it got down to, given the state of the Pacers right now. We'll talk this home stretch and just the schedule, remaining schedule overall. And, of course, in the exciting mailbag segment, we will take your questions. The Hawks Report is brought to you by Emory Healthcare, the official team healthcare provider of the Atlanta Hawks. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. A quick reminder, if this is your first time listening to us, please follow or subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And that really helps us out as well. So if you don't mind hitting that subscribe, follow, whatever the name of the button is, it varies depending on the platform, but whatever whatever that button says, click it. Okay, so real quick, let's talk about the past week overall. And unfortunately, the way that it started was a little bit, you know, worse than how it ended, or maybe that is fortunate. Either way, the Hawks went 0-2 on their road trip, losing in Detroit in overtime. And that was just a bad loss to a rebuilding team. Yes, the Pistons have been playing better lately, but that's still a team that's, you know, 14th in the, the Eastern Conference you know, not going anywhere near the the postseason. Um, got some talent. You know, Cade Cunningham ended up going off in the fourth quarter in overtime. Um, but still, if you're if you're the Hawks and you're trying to do what you're trying to do right now, and, and I mean, granted, the Hawks have gone from hoping to climb in the standings, and they're still hoping to climb in the standings. But at one point, you know, the Hawks were trying to get that sixth seed and avoid the play-in tournament, and and now it's kind of at the point where. They're just hoping to position themselves as best as possible for the play-in tournament, it seems. Um, but yeah, if you're the Hawks and if, if you're in the position you're in, especially needing to scrap and fight for every single win down the stretch of the season, like they've like they've said multiple, to- multiple times, that's just a bad loss. Um, that's just a really, really tough loss. Really no other way to put it there. When you can't afford many losses at all, that's definitely not a loss you want to you want to suffer. So that was a rough one. And the loss to uh, the loss in Milwaukee really wasn't in again, like it, context is so important here. Um, Milwaukee's very good this year, I, you know, as they have been um, for, for years, but Milwaukee's very good. 
that's not the worst, you know, road loss to, to suffer. But what makes it worse is, you know, the situation where the Hawks are, are just really needing to uh, the Hawks ha- are on such a slim margin for error here. So that made that a little bit worse. Obviously, Giannis dominated in that game. Um, Nate McMillan actually got ejected because there were the, the you know, the whistle was definitely going Giannis's way. And then um, when DeAndre Hunter was called for an offensive foul late, Nate, Nate McMillan ended up getting um, getting two techs sort of back to back frustrated that DeAndre Hunter was going to get that call, but Giannis was not going to get um, called for sort of sort of kind of pushing through and driving through guys. So Clint Capella, Hawk Center Clint Capella, actually made a funny comment after the game um, where he basically said, because Clint is a, a level-headed guy, and Clint Capella was furious a few times in that game. You could just tell they were, they were really frustrated. Um, I don't think that's the reason why they lost that game uh, a few calls late. I don't think you can say that, but it certainly didn't help matters. And um, Clint had a funny quote where he was basically like, it was either him or me because I was ready to. <laughs> so they were not the Hawks. They they were not um, a happy crew after that one, understandably so. Um, so that was uh, 0-2 on a road trip. And honestly, the, I mean, things were definitely looking bleak at that time, given that that loss in Detroit, the Hawks have not been at 500, forget above 500. They have not been at 500 since December 15th. That loss in Detroit, they were 31 and 32 going into that. So that could have gotten them back up to, to 500. And instead, you know, they lost a, a game that on paper, at least they shouldn't have lost. Every once in a while, you're going to drop one of those. But obviously, good teams do that less. And also, when every single game matters so much, that one makes that that makes that one a little tougher. Um, they rebounded with a solid home win against the Clippers. John Collins played in that game, and we're going to talk about this more. But it was definitely clear he's playing through pain. I actually spoke with him, I guess, about a week ago now um, about how at that point we were only talking about his foot. He missed seven games earlier with a right foot strain, and coming back he's played in a few games since then but he just doesn't look like himself moving um, when I spoke with John he mentioned you know a lot of jumping is kind of getting to him right now and he did mention he you know he did say you know I'm not 100% and playing through some pain here um, and it, that stood out to me even at the time and then you know the more he played um, it was it was apparent that something was not 100% for sure and then he's also got um, a finger sprain now, uh, in addition. So he's got, he's got injuries kind of piling up for John Collins at a rough time for both him and the Hawks. And that's a good transition to talk about, uh, Sunday's win against the Pacers when John Collins did not play that, that win, it it might actually sound this section of the podcast might end up sounding. It's not going to sound like it was a loss because a win is a win. It goes, down as a W, but man, it does not quite feel like that. That was a win. Um, some of the things that I'm gonna say, it, it just might not sound like I'm talking about a win, but I promise it goes down as a as a win. It does, it does. But that game should not have been that close. That is a Pacers team that is so depleted. You almost, you almost feel bad for how, I mean, how depleted they are. They're missing 
They did not have Malcolm Brogdon. They did not have TJ McConnell. They did not have Ricky Rubio. They do not, did not have Miles Turner. They did not have TJ Warren. All of these guys, a lot of them have been out for quite a while or like haven't played in quite a while. Um, but all of those names that I just mentioned, those would be like big, <laughs> kind of like major um, players for the Pacers team. So this Pacers team doesn't even really look like the Pacers um, as far as the the guys who are kind of going to be your go-to guys or the guys who have just been their big sort of central pieces. Um, so that's, it, it, it just is tough that it was such a close game. It went down to the wire. It, it just does not reflect well on the Hawks' defense to give up. They won 131 to 128. And obviously it doesn't reflect great on the defense that you gave up 128 points to, again, a very, very shorthanded Pacers team. And I mean, these are all, you know, these are NBA guys. These are NBA guys. Um, Sometimes teams, you know, scrap and fight and certain teams, you know, lose games. You can have, you know, like juggernaut, you know, top teams. The clunkers are going to happen. Again, I know this was not a loss. Like this was a win. I'm just trying to say sometimes stuff like that happens, but when you're in the position the Hawks are in, it's just some stuff about the defense. The defense has been an issue, you know, since the beginning of the year, before everything happened with COVID, before some stuff happened where you can legitimately say this was not the Hawks' fault, um, some of the roster issues that they were having and just playing so shorthanded themselves um, at the time, you know, in December and January and whatnot. So the defense has been an issue for a while, and that really reared its head in this game. They ended up giving up 36 points to the Pacers in the fourth quarter alone. So that's tough. This one came down to the wire when it really shouldn't have, and it's it's so crazy because Trey Young had 47 points in this game. Um, he was 7 for 10 from 3. He had 33 points in the first half, which is a career high for him as far as, you know, an individual half. The Hawks actually had a season high in points for any half with 77. Previous season high was 76. Set February 8th against, you guessed it, the Pacers, the shorthanded Pacers. Um, So this game had some really amazing, you know, numbers and highlights if you look at it that way. But if you look at the game in totality, Yes, it goes down as a win again, but this is just it, it was it was rough to watch the Hawks almost let this one go and just the the way that they played, honestly, in the second half and in the fourth quarter. It was a, a two-point game with a little bit more than a minute to play. And, you know, the Hawks had been leading by you know, 14, 15, uh, early in the fourth quarter, and it gets down to a two-point game. Trey Young makes a few free throws. He also had kind of a tough, sort of an ill-advised foul with about three seconds to play. Um, Before that, DeAndre Hunter had a wide-open dunk to get it back up to four. Buddy Hield makes one of two free throws, and the Hawks were able to escape with this one, but... It just didn't feel the way a win necessarily should. And, you know, especially when Clint Capella was off the floor, especially considering how, again, depleted and, and shorthanded the Pacers were, it, it they're in a position, long story short, the Hawks are in a position where now they're 33 and 34, and 
you kind of go back to the position you were, uh, you were in to start the week, which is you could get back to 500. So in a roundabout way, you're in a good position, but the way you got there, when you actually look at uh, the calculus of it, is is a little bit rough. Um, there were there were a few reasons to dive a little deeper why the Pacers got back in this game. The first was actually in in the second half. The first was actually on the offensive end a little bit. So here's Trey Young on that. We got kind of caught up in whenever they went in box and one, and I think we were pretty smooth even in the second unit because they weren't they weren't doing that, and I think we were able to score. And then whenever I came back in, they went back to the box and one, or not not necessarily box and one, but face guard. And uh, just not letting me catch it. And then whenever I did, just double team. I think we we kind of just didn't know what – everybody didn't know what to do whenever we got into that position. And um, we went over it before, but we've uh, we got to be better in those situations. And I think that's kind of what, what let them get back into the game. I thought we sort of relaxed and allowed their uh, traps to uh, become a stop sign. We just, you know, was trying to get the ball to Trey and, and, and play off of that. And – you know, it's, it's just simple uh, space to floor. You, you got two on the ball, you move the ball, and you look to attack it and be aggressive. So that's Hawks coach Nate McMillan talking about the way that the Pacers were defending Trey in the second half. And you heard Trey talk a little bit about, and obviously if a guy goes off for, you know, 33 points in the first half alone, <laughs> it's going to make it's gonna make sense that the defense is going to, adjust and really come after him hard in the second half and but the box and one defense that Trey's talking about that Nate's talking about a little bit is um, basically when four guys more or less kind of play a zone and then one guy is um, or I mean honestly the the Pacers double teamed Trey at at some point too Um, and that's why Trey kind of said face guarding a little bit so anyway then you have uh, you have a player who's just dedicated to one guy and usually it's because that one guy is is kind of going off as Trey was Um, so that was once they started doing that they were kind of doing whatever they could to again understandably get the ball out of Trey's hands so I think that sort of threw the Hawks a little bit for a loop overall I mean obviously Trey still had a great great scoring night um, but just for uh, just as far as rhythm and that sort of thing, and um, Nate McMillan also talked about the Hawks' defense in the second half. We just didn't control the ball. When you don't control the ball and it's, it gets into your paint, it forces your defense to collapse. Now you're in a scramble uh, mode, and they do a really good job of attacking your rotations. And they were able to, uh, you know, get into the paint, kick out, and knock down some threes in that second half. So it starts with you controlling that ball and keeping the ball in front of you. And that's that's a good point by Nate. Um, so the Hawks actually had seven guys in double-figure scoring in this game, and they put up 131 points. So overall, sometimes the you know the offense maybe was taken out of rhythm a little bit with Trey, who only had five assists in this game, which is obviously a little bit low for him. And maybe the the offense was thrown off a little bit as far as trying to get the the ball out of. Trey's hand, you know, as the second half wore on and that kind of thing. But again, uh, the biggest problem for the Hawks, for the most part, as it be, as it has been all season long, is um, the defensive end and just letting letting Indiana get back in this game overall. So, just um, not a 
pretty game from the Hawks, all things considered, when you look at that second half and what the Pacers were able to do to get back in it. But a win is a win, and it goes down as a win. So, hey, it's it's good news at the end of the day. And the Hawks will play um, Portland tomorrow, like we talked about, um, and that'll give them a chance to get back up to 500. So we'll see if they can do that. Talking about strength of schedule, so per um, Tankathon, entering that game uh, against the Pacers, the Hawks actually have the second easiest schedule, the second easiest remaining schedule in the NBA. And now it's um, now they've got 15 games left, and they've actually got a little bit more, a handful, well, not a handful, one, two uh, games more than quite a few other teams, just because you know one or two games of theirs were um, rescheduled when everything was happening with COVID, or uh, when opponents had stuff happening with with COVID, and some stuff got uh, rescheduled. So it's a little bit jam packed. But as far as who you're playing and opponent wise, it's the second easiest schedule in the NBA per Tankathon. Um, so that is that's good news because mathematically, you know, it's it's as far as caliber of opponent that gives you, that gives you better odds. Um, but of course you have to capitalize and just like against the Pacers, even when you're playing a team that maybe on paper, you're a heavy, heavy favorite against, you still have to have to capitalize and go out there and do it. Um, and at the end of the day, they did because they got the win. Um, and they're going to need more wins down the stretch here. Um, so that actually, that win against um, that win against the the Pacers, the Hawks actually move up to ninth in um, in the standings. And I'm recording this Sunday night after the game, um, so they uh, they are four games back from the Raptors, who are in seventh. They I think they're yeah that puts them a, a half game ahead of Charlotte, who they'll play soon. So anyway, it, it's. If they can continue to to win at a high clip down the stretch, that'll help them because at this point you just got to position yourself as as best as possible. For sure. I do think my um, colleague, Michael Cunningham, who you guys know probably just in general, but also uh, he's a columnist, um, used to cover the Hawks, and also he was on our um, was on our show after the Hawks stood pat at the trade deadline. And he had a column that I thought was interesting. It's getting late for this year's Hawks to become like last year's Hawks. And I think it was kind of shining a spotlight on how the Hawks don't have much time left to kick it into high gear. And it, it is true. But like we like we talked about, they don't have much. Um, you know, they'll play Portland's been struggling. You play Portland Monday, Charlotte on Wednesday. If you can beat Charlotte, you're going to climb in the standings obviously um they'll run into Memphis which is which is obviously a very a very tough team right now um but yeah I think that I, the the margin of error is obviously thin um but just win and if you can do that you're gonna you're gonna put yourself in in a good spot especially with the way this schedule is um but at the same time nothing's a given um so anyway this is the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Ocean breeze, tropical beach, 
An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I want to thank every single person who subscribes to the AJC and AJC.com because it is what makes all of this possible. And if you aren't a subscriber, you can go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Okay, so I'm going to bring in producer Jay to help me get through my favorite part, the mailbag segment. Dun, dun, dun. Dramatic music. You asked for the orchestra. (laughs) I did, and I love it. Thank you. The AJC Orchestra is here to stay. Yes. All right, so now to the uh, the ever-popular mailbag segment, and we will start with uh, Nelson John. What's your feeling about DeLon Wright? maybe being out of the rotation. I thought he was playing well in the non-Trey minutes, especially on defense. Yeah, so this is something that Nate McMillan talked about after the Hawks win against the Clippers Friday. And DeLon actually did get in that game, but it was only about five minutes as um, DeAndre Hunter got in foul trouble. So he did play um, a a little bit, but Nate basically said that he is shortening his rotation from 10 guys-ish to to nine. Um, And really the main reason that he gave, he was very clear that, you know, it wasn't anything DeLon had done. DeLon had been playing well for them, which I agree. Um, And as as, um, Nelson pointed out, especially on defense, Um, but Nate McMillan just kind of said, when you're playing 10 guys, it's difficult to, everybody's minutes get squeezed a little bit, including DeLon's is what he said. Um, so I don't, I don't love that. I think Lou Williams has been playing, uh, he's been playing better lately. Um, although overall, I think this season has been a little rougher for Lou, um, so I, I don't love it just because I think DeLon does give you defense. Um, I think he has had a pretty, honestly, to use one of Nate's favorite words, solid. Uh, I think DeLon has been pretty solid for the Hawks this season, not flashy. But the Hawks have plenty of offense and plenty of shooting, really that solid, that solidness, solidity, I don't know. Uh, the solidness of um, Delon and um, I, on, on defense, I think is is good for the Hawks. So to me, I don't I don't know how I feel about that. I'm um, I'm not sure I would do the same. But it's a tough position because he is right that 
playing 10 guys and then everyone kind of gets squeezed a little bit, especially when it comes to just guys getting in a rhythm, that can be tough too. Um, but I, I like DeLon and I like DeLon's game and I'm not sure that I would, I, I'm not, I'm not sure how that'll go. I just made up a word, Jay, but whatever. I may made up two words, but that's okay. Oh, that's, that's what we do here. Solidness. The, you know, the podcast, yes. Solid. The podcast world. Solidness, solid. Solidity. Uh, is, whatever. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, next question's on the same vein from John Reed the fourth. Uh, is the nine-man rotation the plan going forward? You know, it seems like it, but as far as specific players, there are going to be situations where – for example, in the game against the Pacers, when John Collins is out injured, Danilo Gallinari started, and then DeLon Wright, DeLon did play. So even though their main bench guys are going to be Lou Williams, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Gallo, and Anyeka Kongwu, obviously with Gallo starting, then you play um, DeLon. So yes, it sounds like that is the plan, moving forward. I don't think it's, you know, sharpie or anything. I think, I think it's possible for things to change as, you know, if a guy has to miss a game or if someone comes on strong, who knows, but it does sound like it is the plan for the foreseeable future, at least, at least going off of what Nate said. All right. So this is also from Nate, not, not that Nate, but a, a different Nate. Um, <laughs> from Nate McMillan. No, it could be from Did Nate, Nate McMillan. Send in a question to the podcast. <laughs> well, this is from at uh, Nate Runs Five, which could be Nate McMillan's burner account. We don't know. Uh, who's <laughs> to say? But uh, from this Nate, the question is why do we play Clint Capella over Onyeka? So uh, I've gotten this question a few times, and I think there's a couple reasons. Number well, first of all, Onyeka is playing a, a decent bit. I mean, he's playing. He played 25 minutes or so against the Pacers. Clint Capel actually played 22, although he started. So he is playing a fair bit. I just think that um, you've got Clint who's experienced, and I think that can help. I think also Anyeka has gotten in, if we're talking about you know playing time and just some stuff overall, has gotten in some foul trouble relatively consistently. I think that's something that is, you know, fair to point out. In addition to all the great games and moments he has had, he has gotten in some foul trouble here and there. And also he is not rebounding at the level that Clint does. Now the game against the Pacers is not a great example because he had nine rebounds and Clint had six. So I'm not saying he never is, is rebounding or anything like that, but I do think overall, I mean, Clint Capella led the league in rebounding last year and is rebounding well again this year. Um, so he does give you more consistent rebounding and that kind of thing. But then you also have, I understand that it can sometimes be frustrating because Clint has had some problems finishing at the rim and Anyeka is looking like a, a, you know, a good finisher at the rim. So I do understand the frustration there, but I think that when you look at Clint's experience, when you look at how he rebounds, when you look at um, kind of the, some of the foul trouble on Yekka Kongo has gotten into, um, I think that's some of the main reasons why you got, you know, Clint starting, but I mean, obviously they're both great players. All right. And the last question is uh, for you and for everybody. Have you listened to the Braves Report podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with Justin Toscano and Jay Black? I have not listened to it yet, but I'm oh. so excited to listen to it. Yeah. That's so, so cool. We're back. So you're like, you're like co-hosting it. 
Yes. Look at and, you. And uh, we got Justin Toscano, our new Braves beat reporter. Yes. Uh, he's, he's down at the spring training since we have baseball now. Uh, we're going to be back uh, with shows uh, every week now uh, throughout the throughout the season. So as we wait for Freddie Freeman to uh, make his decision, stay tuned for a show coming up uh, middle of next week, and we'll we got all kinds of fun stuff coming along as uh, the Braves get to defend their World Series title. So listen to the show on uh, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. There's that radio voice. There it is. Yes. Um, also, welcome aboard to Justin. Yes. Very, very exciting to Justin's have. Got, you've got a good radio voice. Justin's got a good radio voice. So. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, that we means sound, a lot. We sound very good. We sound good. Regardless of what we say, y'all, we sound good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay, so that's the mailbag segment. Thank you to everyone for submitting questions. And you can always – there are a few people who – will send me questions throughout the week. And those don't just go, if you send me a question, it doesn't just like float off into a void. I um, have a Google doc that I keep them in. So I promise I pay attention and I listen to questions. And every once in a while we can't, you know, we sometimes we can't squeak everything in, but a lot of times we can get quite a few questions in. So send them my way because I promise I love that segment and I love getting questions from you guys. Say, hey, if you're at a game, I mean, hey, <laughs> like, that's that's like part of the fun about about this uh, little community we're building. Um, OK, so let's kind of look forward at what it will take for the Hawks to finally get potentially to finally get to 500. On Monday, for us, it's about closing out this home stance, and uh, you know we, we're going to have to put these uh, last two games behind us, and uh, you know come out with that focus we had uh, from the beginning, and uh, you know get to that level of play once again. You know the game plan doesn't change. You know we have to establish ourselves right from the start. That's Nate McMillan talking about what it'll take to to get to five hundred. Like we talked about earlier, as far as who they're going to be up against, um, the Hawks have a relatively favorable schedule the rest of the way. They host Portland Monday, although that's the second night of a back-to-back for them because um, obviously they beat the Pacers Sunday. Um, the Blazers had lost six straight before beating the Wizards Saturday, which the Hawks are probably grateful for because the Wizards have been right behind them in the standings for quite a bit this season it's been the Hawks in 10th and then the Wizards right behind him in 11th um, obviously the Hawks are temporarily up a little higher than that but it's the, the East is kind of so it, it's very stacked together right now it's very uh, a lot of a lot of stacked together teams so teams will sort of you know trade places or go back and up and back um, it's not all easy though by any means obviously just because you've got a, a favorable schedule um, in terms of caliber of opponent because you still got a they're traveling quite a bit kind of a compact schedule again because of some stuff getting rescheduled they'll play in Charlotte Wednesday and that's a big one because the uh, because the Hornets are right kind of for a lot of time they've been sort of neck and neck with the Hawks in the standings. So um, that's going to be a big one to look out for. And even not saying that this is the case with Charlotte, but with any, any team you face the rest of the way, even, you know, easy quote unquote, easy games aren't guaranteed because this is the NBA and anyone can, can play you really tough and, and really hard. Um, so, okay. That is today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. 
Um, please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share all of that good stuff. And we're going to have another episode for you later this week. And I'm super excited for you guys to hear this next one and really excited to just do the interview with the person I have lined up. I'm really pumped. Um, and thank you guys again for listening to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.